0: The essence of sin is that we've taken God out of the center of the universe, out of the center of our stories, and we've made ourselves the center. And so what happens is, as we hear different biblical truths, different biblical stories, we end up interpreting these stories as if the point was still us, as if it was all about us. As opposed to figuring out how we fit into God's story, we're trying to figure out how God fits into ours. What it means to become a disciple is that you have a Copernican revolution. Just like Copernicus discovered that it was not the earth that was at the center of the universe, but instead it was the sun at the center of the solar system and we operated around it. We have to discover that God is the point of it all and that we ourselves are not the point. We have to discover that this movie that we are a part of is not a movie where we're the main character. We're a minor character. In a movie, it's what happens to the main character that ultimately matters. Minor characters come and go. The point is not us. The point is not living and dying. We are not the point. God is the point. And we have to learn to re-express and rediscover our stories around the centrality of God in his story and learn how our trajectory, our point of living ultimately fits into his point and his purposes for the universe, which is the glorification of his name and the accomplishment of, of his kingdom.
1: Let's uh, let's pray if we could. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together. I thank you for the time that you've given to us already this morning here as a body to worship you, Father. God, I thank you for the gift of song to stir up uh, affection and stir up thought and give us an, an outlet to make proclamation to you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, I I pray that the passion of this church would be the glory of your name, Father, and as we've sung that this morning, make that a, a priority in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray for, for these moments as we gather together this morning that we would draw our attention towards you and off of ourselves, Father, and you might Meet us and teach us some truth about who you are and about who we are, and glory would be brought to your name because of it. God, I thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. Uh, The guy that was just on that video is a guy named J.D. Greer. He's a pastor, um, and I want to bring out a few of the quotes that he said in that because it really kind of typifies the whole idea behind this whole series. And more particularly, this message this morning. He said in that video, we have to discover that God is the point of it all and we ourselves are not the point. Um, it's real simple and, and easy to, to see on a screen, easy to hear. But there's a, that, that, that's, that's really big because we're at our nature, we're self-centered creatures wanting to gain for ourselves and, and we want to make everything about us. Let me say that to you in a different way you want to make everything about you um and it's just not and um we do well to discover that the things that happen to us are designed to get our attention onto god and not just onto god but onto the glorious nature of god um he also said, the point is not living or dying. God is the point. It's very simple, too. The point of your life is not living or dying or this or that. It's, it's God. We have to learn to re-express and rediscover our stories around the centrality of God and His story. That one's a little bit, little bit deeper, less simple. And I think we'll kind of get to the heart of that as we go through this morning. Uh, and then the last thing to bring out, God's purposes are, The glorification of his name and the accomplishment of his kingdom. Like that's what God is about. The stuff that he's orchestrating in your life is for you and for others and for him that we might understand that everything that's going on is for the glorification of his name and the accomplishment of his kingdom. And when you hear kingdom in a sermon, what he's meaning is everything that God intends to happen is happening. It's pre-sin, Garden of Eden perfection. When we say kingdom, that's what we're talking about. So all the stuff that's happening is orchestrating events so that that might come to take place in your heart and in the hearts of those around you and in your community. That's why we exist as a church, to bring the kingdom here, to bring the kingdom into focus here. Um, I want to speak three things before we get into the heart of before we get into the scripture three things that, that i want us to see consistently throughout this message and even throughout the series and even throughout our lives these three things um first your story is not about you it's about god and his glorious grace and making him known your story is not about you it's about god and his glorious grace and making him known Secondly, and this is something that's really been in my mind a lot lately, is our minds are limited by our linear view of time. Our minds are limited by our linear view of time. Um, I was thinking about this talking to uh, a friend this week, uh, and, and he said he, he's experiencing some, some pretty rough, difficult times, and we've been walking through this for, for a year and a half or so with him now. And, and just listening to him talk about it, listening to him talk about how how the grace of God has been obvious to him, but still he he experiences times where where the moment overcomes him, and and that's where our linear view of time keeps us from really understanding what God what God is is doing. Um, say it like this. A few years ago, our house was hit by a tornado. I've preached about it many times. You guys all know about it. And it was a really difficult time. We were out of our house for nine months, and uh, I fought with the bank and with contractors, and it was just, it was a really, really difficult season of life. But now we live in a house that was paid for by an insurance company because of that. And it's, it's beautiful, and it's Every day when I go to sleep, I, I, not every day, but a lot of days when I go to sleep, I think about this house is more than I could afford. And I think about grace, because ultimately that's what grace is. It's, it's something better that's happening to you than you could afford. But in, in the middle of that moment, throughout 2011, from like March of 2011 through Christmas time, it was, it was awful. It was really hard. And my linear view of time couldn't see 2015 because 2015 hadn't happened yet. But if we truly understand the story that God is telling in us and around us, we begin to, to get a little bit of perspective and in the middle of those tyrannical moments, we see that God is orchestrating, getting our minds off of us and onto Him. So our minds are limited by our linear view of time. And then the last thing is, we are so consumed with how our current circumstances make us feel that we lose sight of the story that God is telling. That is Ferguson. It's, God has taught me that living in and loving the city of Ferguson, that our we're so consumed with this very moment and how it makes me feel now that we lose sight of what God is telling us. And every story in Scripture is screaming that to you. Stop being so consumed with here in this moment because God is is coming. And, And not just God is coming from a like, Jesus coming on a cloud and the rapture and all the... Yeah, true. But God is, God is coming to you in your moment. And what he's coming with is a big old helping of grace. Um, Ephesians 1 is the, the center of this series on story. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, again, see the, the linear time, and our minds can't really grasp. Can you, can you really grasp this? Theologians have argued about Ephesians, especially Ephesians 1, for a really, really long time, about predestination, free will, time, when God knew, when all that stuff. But we're limited by our linear view of time, and this verse exposes it. Even as he chose us, do you realize that God chose you before the foundation of the world, before he said, let there be light, God chose Jeff Brockmire. Our linear minds can't grasp that. We should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless before him. Even in the middle of, of intense and great sin, God shows you before the foundation of the world that you will be holy and blameless before him. We really ought to throw more parties for Ephesians 1, 4. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons, sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. Because he wanted it to happen, he predestined, again, linear time confusing to us, he adopted us as sons through Christ Jesus. But verse 6 is the point of this entire series. All of that has happened. All of what God has done in you and through you and for you is not for you. It's verse 6. It's to the praise of his glorious grace. So all the stuff that's going on in your world, all this predestination, this adoption of son, this holy and blameless, it's not about you. It's about his grace in a big, giant, flashing red light sign. Look at how great this God is. And all of your story, from the creations that happened to you, to the falls that happened to you, to the redemptions, to the restorations, all of those things are, are pointing to the glorious grace of God. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Psalm 51, and, and it's David's response to committing adultery, having sex with a, another man's wife, getting her pregnant, killing that man so that it wouldn't look like it was his baby, and then that baby dying, and then all that awful, gross, sinful mess resulted in Solomon, he would become the baby from that adulterous relationship that lived, Solomon built the temple, and from that line came Christ. Christ. God is really good at weaving redemption. And he's really good at drawing our attention to the redemptions that he's done so that we would trust that he's going to do redemption in you and that we could proclaim that story around this universe. So I want to center in on the story of Peter this morning and his creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And then try and draw out some points for us to reaffirm the stuff that we've talked about so far. So, if you have your Bible, uh, Matthew 16 is where we're going to start. It'll be on the screen as well, so don't panic if you don't have one. If you, There's some in the back if you want to grab one there. Uh, Matthew 16:13. This is Peter's creation. And when I say creation, I don't mean like Peter's birth. I mean when the kingdom was established for a moment or a season or a time in our lives. When I say creation in, this, in terms of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, we have many creations. And it's times when the kingdom is happening in us. You follow that? You picking that up? That, that's important for us to, to understand the language that's being used here. So this is one of Peter's creations. The kingdom. Peter realizing his purpose and, and why he's here. Verse 13. Now in Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? By the way, this is the absolute most important question that's ever been posed on the face of the earth. What we do with Jesus and who he is and how we respond to this question is the most important question in the universe. Verse 14, they respond. Some say you're John the Baptist, Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah. Others say one of the prophets. So Jesus is an historical figure that's come back to life um, or a new prophet. That's what people around Jesus have been saying about him. Verse 15, Jesus cuts to the point, asks the more direct question. Okay, I hear what they're saying, but who do you say that I am? Peter's reply is his creation, this create, this, the kingdom happening inside of Peter. Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter nails it perfectly. And to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, there's there's more than just those few words that are there. It's when he calls him the Christ and the Son of the living God, he has said, you are deity He has said, you are the long-awaited, anointed one that all of our history of fathers and their fathers and their fathers have taught us about that's coming to save us as a people. You are that. You are deity. You are the anointed one. You are the promised one. You are the long-awaited one that's come to save us. This is Peter's creation. Never before has Peter said something more true. And Jesus affirms it in verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar just means son of. Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has revealed to you, has, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want to I say something here. A lot of the, the stuff about God that we engage with is not learned, but revealed. For Peter... No one sat, Jesus never sat him down and said, okay, this is, this is who I am, and I, and I want you to believe these things. No, God intervened. He injected, he revealed to Peter who he was. And that's why, as we think about this being a, a creation for Peter, I want us to see that when creations happen in us, when God brings his kingdom to our hearts, it's like it's God-motivated, energized. It's a God-energized event that happens to us. It's God doing the work. He's revealing. He's not teaching you something as much as he is imparting something to you. Do you see the difference there? This is a creation in Peter. More, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Again, our linear minds are, are, are defeated here. Because in this moment, Jesus is fully God, and he fully understands all that's going to happen to Peter. He knows the falls that are coming in Peter's life. And there are many. And they're massive. They're massive. But Jesus, still knowing that, says to Peter, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church on. That ought to be incredibly life-giving to us. In the middle of our sin, or knowing the sin that is to come, Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build my church on you and on the truth of what I just revealed to you. It's really big. Really big. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Everything that God intends to accomplish through his church, really through the, the whole New Testament, has just been given to this Peter who has a lot of falls yet to come in his life. But again, it's not about Peter. It's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. Flip over to Luke 22. Two books later, verse 22, also going to be on the screen. We're going to see a couple of of Peter's falls. Um... And again, when, when Scripture says Simon and Peter, it's, it's the same guy. Simon was his original name and, and Jesus gave him the, the name Peter. Luke 22, 31, here is the first of many falls that we'll talk about this morning. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Um, don't a couple of things not to miss here. One is Satan is real and he's active and he has conversations with God. Um, and here, Jesus is telling Peter of a conversation that, that once happened where Satan said, I demand to have Peter. Um, that he might sift you like wheat. The process of sifting wheat in this age is a violent shaking and scraping where metal and stone tools were used. This is what Satan has requested of Jesus to do to Peter. We think of sifting, we might think of like a a colander, you know, where we're shaking out. No, that's not, this is, uh, sifting is, is a violent act where seeds and stalks are torn apart. And, rough tools and hard tools like steel and stone are used to make it happen. So, conversation between Satan and Jesus. Satan demanded to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. Verse 32 is incredibly powerful and encouraging. Jesus says to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I've prayed for you. We, uh, one of the things that, that Dave read this morning uh, that in our responsive reading was that Jesus is interceding for us. I, 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 like, I need us to know that in this very moment, Jesus, do you know where he is and what he's doing right this very moment? He's sitting to the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you. That makes me want to cry. It's beautiful. And especially, I've I've read this verse before, but I've not read it in light of Jesus is currently and eternally interceding on our behalf. And and I think what, what a great thing it must have been for Peter. In that moment, when Jesus says, Satan has demanded to rough you up. I'm I'm praying for you, Peter. And then to to think that Jesus is there now praying for us, interceding for us. What are we afraid of? Take courage. Second half of verse 32 is almost as cool as the first half. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Again, the linear view of time. Again, being consumed with moments. Missing the story that God is telling. Missing the creation that God has placed in Peter. The creation that God has placed in Peter is that Peter understands that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that Jesus is going to build his church upon Peter despite the stuff that he does. So the fall does not affect the creation. In God's omnipotence. See that Jesus says, when you have turned, after you fall, and then come back to me, strengthen your brothers. Do the work that you've been created to do. Don't let that fall destroy you. Don't let that fall disqualify you. We live in a world filled with religiosity that tells us do this and don't do that. And if you do this or if you don't do that or you you mess up, then you're done. Not only is that not true, but you're still 100% usable to be one of the two most important people in all of the New Testament. Don't let a fall destroy you. Please. Skip down to verse 44 from Luke 22. Another fall for Peter. This is the, the actual fall happening. Then they seized him, that is Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. The one who is currently being sifted Like wheat. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, most historians believe this is a girl who's about 12 or 13 years old, think Hannah Grace, walks up and says, This man was with him. Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I I don't know him. Like he's scared of Hannah Grace. Verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted Certainly this man was also with him, for he too was a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Jesus remembered the saying, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What must have been in Peter's mind in this moment? What do you think was in Peter's mind in this moment? I've thought about that many times. Weeping bitterly, he's just denied. And this the stuff with with you are the rock and home I'll build my church and you got this all, all, all that stuff happened just a, a couple of weeks before this event took place. Still really fresh in his mind. When a really important person looks you square in the eye and gives you a, a huge compliment like that, you're... Like, you're moved for a long time by that, right? And now here's Peter weeping bitterly. What must have been in his, in his mind? Again, he's limited by the same linear view of time that you are. Do you think in his mind he's still hearing Jesus says, when you have turned again, feed my sheep, teach, lead my church? Do you think he's hearing that? No. He is consumed by his fall. I want to spend a couple of minutes thinking about falls because there's so many different things or ways we can define fall. Here are a few. Sin that we commit can be a fall to us. An active sin that we commit can be a fall to us. Sin that someone commits against us can be a fall to us. An illness, an injury, or a death can be a fall to us. The loss of a job can be a fall to us. Any, any hardship that, really, hardship that, that turns our mind towards poor me can be a fall to us. Let me uh, say this as well. Falls are almost always thought of negatively. But I think one of the major reasons that we've decided to walk through this series on story is to teach us that falls are not completely bad. Yes, it's bad that Peter denied Jesus. There's no bit of good that Peter denied Jesus. But that event is not completely Bad because falls, redemption doesn't happen without a fall. And we're not taught of the beauty of grace without falls. God uses our pain and our sin to get us to a place to trust Him. Can I say that again? God uses your fall and your pain and your sin to get you to a place to trust him. That's big. Flip over to, uh, to First Peter, and we're going to see Peter, years later, writing his book. Um starting in verse 3. Before verse 3, he says, we're strangers and aliens in this world, meaning we're not, this is not where we're supposed to be, and because it's not where, where we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be, stuff just doesn't work right. Verse 3, Peter. Again, remember all the stuff that's happened to Peter so far. The encounter with Christ, where he says, yes, yes. You are the rock. Satan has asked to sift you, but I'm going to pray for you. And he has fallen. And he has denied Christ three times. Peter, having had all of that stuff happen to him, brings us this truth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, Jesus is intervening in you, you aren't doing anything to to get to him. He's doing it all. Jesus has caused you to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. These are really powerful words. This is the gift that you own because of Christ. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's, that's really big for us to, to come to grips with. And, and here's the beautiful part of, of this, is without the denial, he went out and wept bitterly. And there's probably some, like, a lot of sleeplessness. This is where I, I kind of take some pastor's license to kind of think about what Peter might have been doing immediately following this event Between this denial and the resurrection of Jesus. There's probably a a lot of prayer happening, a lot of repentance, a lot of confession, and a a lot of deep journaling happening. And I believe God began to write these verses into his soul in those moments. And just like without David and Bathsheba, Solomon and the temple don't happen. It gets our mind away from from us in these moments. So God isn't as interested in making your circumstances better as he is writing on your soul the truth of his love for you. And without the denials, Peter doesn't experience the depth of the steadfast love of the Lord. If we could somehow figure out a way to remove ourselves from our linear view of time and our, our preoccupation with our circumstances, to see the story that God is writing in your heart and through your heart. We can see it in Peter's life, right? Can, can you see how, how vital the falls for Peter were to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7? Can you see how vital they are? And how vital they were to David in writing Psalm 51 and, and all of these things. And, and last week in Kenny's story, all of his, his cop hatred and, and his prison time were vital to him. Without them, he's not who he is today. Without your falls, you're not who you are today. You don't understand grace like you do. So, so don't be so consumed with it and see the picture that God is telling, not just for you, but for people around you. Do you know that, that the story that God is telling you is for people that are around you to see, wow, look at what God has done. Go back to our Ephesians 1. Everything that's happening to you is to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 5 in 1 Peter who, talking about the Christian, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm, I'm really buoyed by this, that God's power is guarding us today. When we think that, that really bad stuff is happening to us, God's power is guarding you. And again, go back to when Jesus and Satan were having their conversation Jesus, Satan only was allowed to do that because Jesus said, oh, okay. And, and then look at Job and those conversations that Satan and God had. Hey, I want him. And God said, yeah, you can have him, but you, can't, you can only go this far. Wherever you are in your fall, God has given permission, but is still protecting. It's like a mom standing on the on the edge of the pool, where you're playing in the shallow end, but if you get near the deep end, he will stop and intervene. You are being protected. Verse 6. In this, in this guarding, you, great, you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire may be found the result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a massive verse for us. The stuff that's happening, the falls that happen in your life have a purpose. And that purpose is to purify your faith. And a purified faith is worth more than anything on this planet. That's what Peter just told you. And Peter is had experience with pretty big falls. Falls happen to test your faith and to teach you that your faith is strong and it's precious. And the end result of a fall is knowledge of Jesus. It's putting more Jesus in you. Is anybody here brave enough to pray for a fall? I have before, and I don't want to. But at the other end is Jesus, a purified faith. Now let's go to Acts 4 and see restoration happening to Peter. Acts 4, verse 1. Again, I wonder what Peter was thinking here in this moment, if he was thinking about his denials. But the creation is back in Peter and happening. And they were speaking to the people, and the, they is was, was Peter and John, and the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But those who had heard the word believed. So, John and Peter were preaching and people believed that Jesus was the Christ. They believed in the mission of Peter and Peter was living his creation. And the number of men came to about 5,000. We have about, what, 50 or 60 here today, something like that? The number of men that came to faith in Jesus on that day was 5,000. Peter is restored. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were present in the high priestly family. I need you to know this. These are the same people who about three weeks before this event killed Jesus. Jesus. And Peter denied knowing Jesus. And he's standing before them similarly to the way Jesus did and wound up on a cross. They asked him, by what power or by what name do you do this? Do you think they were confused? Do you think they didn't know the answer to that question? They knew the answer to the question. They wanted Peter to say it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? I want to stop in the middle of of Peter's monologue here and say, the rooster crowed and he went out and wept bitterly. A fall had happened to this man. But to the praise of the glorious grace of God, this same guy stands before people who not only have the authority, but the experience of killing people. And he's not afraid because he had Jesus put in him. His faith had been purified. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and if Peter were alive today, he'd wear those trash-talking Nike t-shirts, because he's right here, who you crucified, you dummies crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. I'm just baffled every time I read this by the, the boldness of Peter. You killed Jesus, it's by his name that I'm standing before you. Go ahead and kill me. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You are wrong, religious leaders. Jesus is the only way. Your rules are not the way. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want to read two verses in a second, but understand Redemption is not fully realized without a fault. It's like an antibody that God is putting into your system to purify your faith, to make you stronger. And the end result is first Peter one seven, the second half, that says Jesus is in you. And the end result is also Acts four thirteen. They recognized these men had been with Jesus. The stories that happen to you, the creations, the falls, the redemptions, and the restoration have one goal. Jesus. Let's pray and sing about this Jesus. God, you are good. Oh, you are so good. God, teach us through the life of Peter and through our own lives that it's just not about us. It's about your glorious grace. Teach us to not be consumed with our current circumstances and how they make us feel, but instead point our attention to your son Jesus and the result is a more purely seen and understood and received Jesus. You are good. Even when life is hard, you are good. Teach us that, please, God. Remind us that you are good and that your Son Jesus is interceding on our behalf eternally. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.